When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the American Patrick and Quilting Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. In our world right now, this time of year is all about storage and organization. We're all spending time refreshing our spaces or finding a new functional way to organize our space. So for today's show, our staff is sharing some of their best storage hacks. I hope some of them may work for your space. So I'm handing the mic off. Let's hear what my coworkers have to say. This is Doris, editor of American Patchwork and Quilting. I make bags and clothing as well as quilts, so I have various interfacings and stabilizers in my sewing room. For years, I've struggled with finding a good way to organize them so I could quickly put my hand on something I needed for a project instead of always needing to go purchase more because I couldn't find what I needed when I was ready to use it. I found a vinyl roll holder that hangs over a door or a clothing rod meant to store rolls of vinyl for a Cricut or Sizzix machine. It's perfect for storing rolled up interfacing, which I secure with a strip of fabric tied around it, marked with the number and the type of stabilizer product, Hi, I'm Elizabeth Stumbell. Now my sewing space is also my home office, so I don't have the luxury of keeping my cutting mat sitting out flat on my table. And I've always struggled with finding a good place to store it where I know it won't warp. In the past, I have mistakenly tried to store my large cutting mat vertically in my closet Basically, I just shoved it between the wall and some shelving and hoped that it would stay there. I thought it would be safe there because it was such a narrow space. However, over time, the cutting mat definitely has developed a permanent bend that I cannot flatten out no matter how many times that I have tried. And cutting mats are not inexpensive. To prevent further damage, I now hang the cutting mat vertically from a pants hanger in the very same closet. However, I found that the weight of the large cutting mat combined with its smooth surface meant that the cutting mat was continuously slipping out of the hanger. So to remedy this, I cut some narrow strips of grippy shelf liner and I simply hot glued them to the inside of the wooden pants hanger on both sides and it works. The shelf liner provides the perfect amount of grip to keep the cutting mat secure. And I love that I found a simple solution that saves space and protects my cutting mat. The second organization tip that, that I have is one that I have yet to create, but plan on doing so very soon. One of my goals for the new year is to consistently work on handwork in the evenings instead of always resorting to simply watching TV for entertainment. To help me reach this goal, I want to create a portable storage system that I can quickly grab from my sewing room and move to the comfort of my couch in the downtime. 
Right now, all of my supplies for handwork are organized, but I don't necessarily store them all together and they definitely are not easy to grab and just move. So I'd like to find a basket or a tray that I can store my in-progress handwork projects on along with all of the notions that I need. I'm hoping that by creating a handy system, I will reach for my handwork instead of the remote. Hi, Beth here sharing my favorite storage items in my sewing space. First up is my rolling project cart. I'd been storing some in-progress projects on cookie sheets, so this is a similar concept, but a huge upgrade. The rolling rack has six removable trays so you can store projects vertically. I first saw it in the office when we were featuring it in the magazine and I knew I had to get one. It's so handy for storing the projects that I'm actively working on. Each tray stores the fabric I need for the project or the cut pieces if I'm that far into the project already. I can neatly stack my supplies on the tray and then remove the tray from the cart to take to my cutting table or sewing machine. It also makes it really easy to pack for a retreat, so I just took the trays I wanted to work on and stacked them in my car. Once I was at the retreat, the trays came in handy there too. I kept all my pieces wrangled in one spot and it made it easy to move around if I needed to clear off the table. Once I had my blocks put together, I had used a design wall which was across the room from my sewing space, so I was able to take the blocks off the design wall, stack them up in the correct order on the tray, and then bring them back to my sewing machine. This made it super easy to sew the rows together. Once I finished my quilt top, I had a couple empty trays that then were able to be called into action for a quilt puzzle we were working on. They were perfect for sorting pieces and then transporting the puzzle back home since we didn't complete it at the retreat. At home, I love that the cart is on wheels since I can also just roll the cart next to my sewing machine or cutting table with the top tray containing the fabric I need. And it's easily tucked away into a corner or I can roll it into my storage room and hide it when guests come over. It's such an incredibly handy little cart, I might need to get another one. One other thing that's been so helpful for me is using clipboards to organize my patterns. This is especially useful when I have multiple block of the month quilts I'm working on. When a new block is released, I can print it and add it to the clipboard. I also like to add a little post-it note that just says the next release date on it. That way I can keep track of how much time I have left to make the blocks and remind me to go print the next one when it's ready. Sometimes, okay, all the time, in the midst of a project, my room gets pretty messy, so the clipboard is a nice way to keep the pattern together and in the correct order. There's nothing more frustrating than losing a page of the instructions. These are super easy to hang on a pegboard or wall too to take advantage of that vertical space that might be available in your room. It's also a great visual reminder of the projects I'm working on and having the patterns out in the open keeps me motivated to work on them. I think these would look so fun in a grid on a wall or back of a door. You can hang them easily with 3M hooks. You don't need to put a bunch of holes in your wall and you can remove them when needed. It's also a great way to use the empty space on maybe the side of a cabinet or a bookshelf or other piece of furniture too. If you'd like to see the clipboards in my space, visit allpeoplequilt.com and search clipboards to find a video I made. Hi, I'm Allison. Several years ago, American Patchwork and Quilting featured pant hangers for storing quilt tops and yardage. It was something I'd never heard of before and thought it was brilliant. 
I decided to purchase a couple of hangers for myself because I had some unfinished quilt tops that I wanted to hang instead of keeping folded up in a pile. Each hanger has five rungs that swing to the side and then clip into place. Mine also have a non-slip padding, which is helpful at keeping projects from shifting and falling onto the floor. I've ended up using the hangers for more than just storing quilt tops. I have a mix of tops, tops paired with backing fabric that are waiting to be quilted, and larger cuts of fabric. When I pick up backing fabric to pair with an unfinished top, I hang it with the top so I remember that they go together. And if I'm feeling really ambitious, I'll go ahead and piece the backing to the correct dimensions before I store them together. Some of my projects have been hanging in my sewing room closet for a while as I decide if I want to quilt them myself or hire a machine quilter. By using hangers instead of storing things in folded piles, I feel better about the amount of creases and damage I'm doing to the tops if they happen to sit for a long period of time. In addition to storing quilt tops, if I purchase fabric that's more than two yards, I add a label to it so I remember how much there is rather than having to measure it when I want to use it for a project. I then hang that fabric on the pants hanger so it doesn't take up a lot of space in my regular fabric storage. I don't know what I did before using pant hangers for quilt-related storage. They've been such a help in keeping me organized. It's also easy to see at a glance how many projects I have unfinished, and it's a good motivation to get things done. Hey, it's Lindsay. So one of the storage tips that has made the biggest difference in my sewing life is separating my larger pieces of yardage from my smaller cuts of fabric. So I used to store all of my fabric together by color, no matter the size, um, but I make scrappier quilts or those using a variety of fabrics. So I usually end up picking smaller pieces of fabric, um, you know, anywhere from fat eighths, fat quarters, to even like eighth or fourth yard cuts uh, to make my blocks for a quilt. And then I use larger pieces of fabric, um, anywhere from half yard up to, you know, four or five yard cuts for background fabric, um, the quilt backing, the binding, the borders. And there were times when I would be searching through my stash for fabrics and I would find one I loved, but it just wouldn't be the right size. And that was very frustrating. So I ended up separating all of my smaller pieces of fabric from that larger yardage. And that way I know exactly where to look for fabric for each step of the process. I even stored my larger yardage in the closet of my sewing room, so it's out of the way, um, but it's still available when I need to look through it at the end of the quilting process. Storing that larger pieces um, separate also makes it really easy to see when I need to restock a certain color of fabric, you know, such as those that I frequently use as binding colors um, or maybe like a solid white for a quilt background. The other tip I have to share is less of a tangible storage hack and more about a mindset shift. Um, it's learning to let go. So here's a few examples from my own life. I save all batting scraps, even the super small 
awkward pieces. You know, because I think I might need a small batting scrap someday or that, you know, I'll piece these smaller pieces together to make a large piece. Um, but I, I very rarely need a tiny piece of batting. And I find it tedious to sometimes sew these little batting scraps into a larger piece. So I really just need to throw those smaller pieces away. You know, I'm not using them. And batting takes up quite a bit of space. Uh, space that I could use to store, you know, actual large pieces of batting to use for quilts. Another example of this is that I save old hand sewing needles. Um, you know, ones that are bent, maybe they're a little rusty. They're definitely old. Uh, I don't use them anymore, but I save them in a needle book because I think to myself that I may need one someday. Um, why I don't think I have enough hand sewing needles uh, or that I can't buy more if I need them is like beyond me. I have tons of them, but you know, I have this whole needle book full of them, you know, just in case. <laughs> Um, you know, now that I've said this out loud and I'm telling you all, um, I'm resolving today to dispose of those old needles. Um, it's just so unnecessary for me to save them. Uh, so sometimes I need to learn to let go of things, you know, just get rid of them, to have the space to work, to get creative, uh, to even more easily be able to find the tools I need. So sometimes letting go is the best sort of organizational tip you can have. So now I have a few storage ideas to share from our listeners. The first is from Sandy from Ohio. She says, I've been lucky enough to be able to convert a bedroom in my home into a designated sewing room. One thing I have done to improve my storage organization in the room is to remove the sliding doors from the closet in my room. I spruced up the walls and shelf with fresh paint to match the room color. The upper shelf, which runs the length of the closet, is now easier to store large canvas bins with supplies. I have added two IKEA bookshelves in the floor space inside the closet for my fabrics and batting. I need order in my sewing space, and this really helps. This is genius, Sandy. I just love that you are able to open up your space to make more room for storage. I love it. So this next tip is from Shelly. Shelly says, something that has really helped is those crawler things on wheels that mechanics use to slide in and out from underneath a car. I have large plastic bins with backings and filled with scraps, and I can easily slide them around and out of my way because they're on those wheelie things. This is a great idea, Shelly, because uh, sometimes those totes full of things you may, you know, not always use often are hard to store and they're heavy to move when you need them. So I love the idea of putting them on wheels. So places like Amazon and Home Depot sell these dollies and a variety of sizes so that you can place your plastic bins on them. And Shelly had another great tip to share. She says, I have a double-sided pegboard spinner like you'd see in a store with merchandise hanging on it. I got it from a store closing sale. I have it near my desk and it holds all my rulers. I don't have a lot of wall space because of doors and stairs, so couldn't have the pegboard on the wall. That's so fun uh, and how lucky that you snagged one at a closing sale. 
for all of our other listeners, you can search the internet for pegboard spinners, um, and they sell them uh, for you know tabletops or floors, so you can find one that fits your space. Um, that's really a great solution if you just don't have enough wall space or you want to add storage to you know like a tiny corner or space in your closet that you can fill. So if anyone else has any storage tips they want to share, please email them to me at apqpodcast at meredith.com. I think it would be so fun to share more tips throughout the year because, you know, we all struggle with storage all the time. So there's, there's always new tips to share. We're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're examining the different ways people bind quilts. Welcome back. Now it's time for Lindsay's Musings, a segment where I pull my Instagram followers on a hot button quilting topic and share my thoughts. And for this poll, I explored binding. I was mostly interested in if people generally bind their quilts all by machine or also by hand and their reasons for doing so. And let me tell you that people had more to say about this topic than any other topic we've talked about on this segment. So people are very passionate about their way of binding. So let's dive into the results. Now, 104 people voted in this poll. So first I asked, how do you attach binding to the back of your quilt? 46% said they attach it by hand. 32% said they attach it by machine, and 22% said they do both depending on the circumstances. And this was very interesting to me. Uh, I personally bind all my quilts by hand, and everyone I know does it by hand. Uh, I don't know one person who does it by machine. Uh, So I definitely thought the binding by hand number would have been much higher, so I was surprised. So next, I asked those who bind by hand what their main reason is for doing it that way. And 57% said they enjoy the hand binding process. 18% said because it's the quote right way to bind. 17% said it's how they were taught to bind. And 8% said it's because it's portable. I just love these results. Like the majority of people who bind by hand, they're just doing it because they enjoy it. And that is so wonderful. You hear from some people that they just dislike binding so much, but it seems like the people who bind by hand like the process. Uh, I agree. I find it very relaxing. It's meditative. And it just feels nice after sewing um, my quilts by machine to have my hands stitching part of it. It just feels really special to me. So our listener, Stacy said she loves hand binding because it's one of the few portable forms of handwork she does. She said she's currently holding off on binding a quilt until she visits a friend for a quilting bee afternoon so she doesn't have to carry along her sewing machine. Uh, I do the exact same thing. I do save binding a lot for when I travel in the car. So while this may not be the main reason someone may hand bind, it is definitely a perk. And I'm I'm not surprised that 18% of people said they bind this way because it's considered the right way to bind. 
Um, I've heard this from a lot of people over the years, uh, that there's this idea out there that the correct way to finish binding is by hand. And if you're binding by machine, it's cheating in some way. Uh, I don't think there's a right or wrong way, um, you know, unless you've entered a quilt into a quilt show for judging and there are certain requirements. Um, and I actually think that this belief that there is a right way can be harmful at times. Uh, I've heard people who have a pile of UFOs that just need binding because it's a slow process for them. You know, maybe they have arthritis and can't use their hands well. And so all these quilts just stay unfinished um, or these quilters suffer physically to go through the process. And in those cases, I think it's an amazing opportunity to switch to binding by machine. In fact, our listener Tracy pointed out that machine binding is easier for aging eyes as well. She said handwork is very hard to see. And, um, you know, that's something I didn't consider when I was setting up this poll. So I want to thank Tracy for pointing that out to me. Another comment I got from our listener Liz is that she does hand binding because it looks cleaner, you know, because you don't have the stitches showing on either side of the quilt. And she said she does big stitch binding to add a special design element, which I have always wanted to try. Next, I asked the people who bind by machine what their main reason is for doing it that way. So 60% said it's because it's faster than binding by hand. I can't argue with that one. (laughs) 24% said it's more durable than by hand. 11% said it was how they were taught, and 5% said they enjoy the process. This made me kind of laugh because while the people who bind by hand enjoy the process and don't mind the extra time it takes, the people who bind by machine mainly do it because it's faster, and only 5% said it's because they enjoy the process. (laughs) So the people that bind by machine, they want to finish a quilt quilt quickly. you know, and I, I feel that, you know, by the end of making a quilt, sometimes you just want it done, you know, especially if you don't enjoy binding or if you're making it as a gift um, or for an event that has a deadline and you just need to be done. So our listener, Allison, said that hand stitching binding kills her hands and she thinks it's the worst part of making a quilt. She also says she cuts her binding at three inches now, and she uses a decorative stitch when sewing by machine. So I just love that she's adding this this creative touch to her quilt while adding her binding. Uh, I do find it interesting that 24% of people said they machine bind because it's more durable. Um, I've not personally found this in my experience. Um, I've never had my hand stitches wear out on my binding. Um, and on antique quilts, you know, when you look at those, I've noticed that the wear on the binding usually comes on the edge or the fold of the binding. It's never the stitches that are popping out. Uh, you know, I wash my quilts regularly in the wash machine and I have never had problems, but maybe some people have experienced hand stitches not seeming secure over the years and just feel more comfortable machine binding. But Uh, You know, that's not not something I found in my experience. And lastly, I asked those who bind either way what the main reason they would choose, you know, one method over the other. 47% said they consider the intended use of the quilt. 
40% said they considered the time they have to finish it. And 13% said they just do whatever they're in the mood to do. (laughs) So it seems fitting that it's fairly even between the intended use of the quilt and the time they have to finish it. You know, if you're comfortable binding by machine and also by hand, it makes sense that you might choose one or the other depending on your time constraints and the use of the quilt. Uh, Jane says, our listener Jane says, she binds by hand unless it's for a baby quilt or a utility quilt that will get washed often. So she has just a clear line on what she binds by a machine and what she binds by hand, which seems very handy. Overall, I, I think you should bind a quilt whatever way you want, you know, by hand, by machine. It doesn't matter as long as the quilt is finished and you can enjoy it. We do have a great video tutorial on how to bind both by hand and machine on our website, so I will link to them in the show notes in case you want to branch out and try a new way to bind. And if you have a topic you'd like us to explore on Lindsay's Musings, send me an email at apqpodcast at meredith.com. And make sure you're following me on Instagram uh, at Linz Mayland. That's L-I-N-D-S-M-A-Y-L-A-N-D so that you can vote in these polls. I do them about once a month in my Instagram stories. Okay, now I'm passing the mic over to Beth to share what she's working on now. So take it away, Beth. Hi, I'm Beth, and today I'm sharing what I'm working on right now. I have a few projects going currently, probably a little more than usual. I typically try to only work on one to two projects at a time so I can focus on getting them finished. I have a bit of a backlog in the quilting step right now, so currently I'm quilting my APQ Seasonal Sampler Quilt. This was a free quilt along project that has adorable winter blocks like wreaths, trees, mittens, and gifts. You can still find the pattern at allpeoplequilt.com slash seasonal sampler. I was able to finish the top in December, but didn't get it quite quilted in time to enjoy for the holiday season. I've got a few straight lines added in the sashing so far, but haven't gotten the rest of the quilting finished yet. I've hit a point where I'm not sure how I want to quilt the border or the actual block, so I got a little stuck and set that aside for now. I also am working on a fall pumpkin quilt that just needs borders that I'm working on. And I finished the top at a recent retreat, but haven't gotten those borders done yet. This was a layer cake project and I had some strips left over from each 10 inch square when I was making the pumpkins. So I pieced some of those together to add some accent strips to the gray border. I'm excited to get this one finished up, but I may send this one out to be long arm quilted so I can ensure it will be ready for me to use next fall. I'm also working on making some more cloth napkins. I have a bunch of these already, but a friend recently came over for dinner and she commented on my cloth napkins and wanting to switch over to cloth. So I offered to make her some too. I've made 12 so far and I'm going to make her another 12 so she has a good amount to start with and make that switch from paper napkins. And since I was working on hers, I also had a small stack of napkins to sew for myself. A while back, I made fall and winter table runners and had some matching fat quarters left over, so now I'm making napkins to coordinate. It's a great way to use up those last few pieces of fabric that are left over from a bundle. These I will pack up with the table runners so that I can keep them separate from our everyday napkins. So far, I have eight Christmas napkins completed and I have another eight fall to go. 
I always seem to put off the napkins because they take a lot of time to press, but hardly any time actually sewing. So I've been trying to press a few at a time in the evenings while I'm watching TV or listening to a podcast so that I can get them finished up. With these fall and winter projects, I'll be done with holiday projects well in advance this year. It's kind of fun to pack them away and forget about them. Then when I pull them out again, it's like a little present to my future self. Thanks, Beth. I always love hearing what projects people are tackling. Now we're going to take a quick ad break, but when we get back, we're answering a listener question and sharing some listener sewing hacks. Welcome back. Now it's time for listener tips, where our podcast listeners share some brilliant ideas. This first email is from Barbara. She says, for many years, I have been gifting Christmas quilts for wedding gifts. The window for wedding themed quilts is short, but Christmas comes every year and they can bring out the quilt for a few months. I love this idea, Barbara. Sometimes when you're trying to figure out a pattern or color palette, a couple may like, it's hard because you don't know their home or their tastes, but a Christmas quilt will always go with their holiday decor and will be cherished for years to come. This next email is from Shelly. She writes, I was just listening to episode 504, where your staff was talking about a hack of storing binding strips on toilet paper rolls. You could go a step farther and use a toilet paper roll holder as you're sewing the binding on. We did this at an Airbnb when we didn't have a spool that we were used to having. This is clever, Shelly, uh, especially at a retreat when you may have forgotten a tool that helps, you know, feed the binding into your machine with no tangles. I love that the holder can sit next to your chair as you're sewing the binding on and doesn't take up any more space next to your machine. And now I have some tips from the archives of our magazine. So if you didn't know, American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine is celebrating its 30th anniversary in early February. And we have a very special anniversary issue coming out then too, which I hope you'll all grab on newsstands. Uh, but because of this, I have spent so much time looking through past issues of the magazine and I've loved reading through the reader tips section of the magazine throughout the years. Most of the tips still apply to quilters today. Uh, so, you know, those tips truly stood the test of time. So I thought it would be fun to share just a few of my favorites today. So this tip is from 1994 by Bettina Havig. She says, because I love to make charm quilts and they require so many fabrics, it seems I always have a quilt that's partially finished. Whenever I purchase a new fabric, I cut a five inch square to put in my charm stash. It makes a wonderful record of fabrics I've used in other projects. Two squares are even better because you can trade with a friend. This tip from Robin Puma is from 2002. She says, I cut a strip off a rotary cutting mat and keep it on my sewing cabinet in front of my sewing machine. I keep a small ruler and rotary cutter handy so I can quickly trim and square up pieces on the strip of mat. 
This tip from Trudy Lindemann is from 2011. She says, I put a piece of white fabric behind a block before hand embroidering the block. The extra layer prevents knots, floss tails, and places where I've traveled with the needle from being seen. It also brightens up the background. And this from Bobby Delsing is from 2015. She says, Once when I was stitching with my sewing group, I needed to trace applique patterns onto fusible web, and no light box was available. I made my own out of a clear plastic project box and the flashlight app on my cell phone. You know, I always love hearing tips and sewing hacks, so please email me any you have at apqpodcast at meredith.com. Now we're moving on to Ask Us Anything, a segment where we answer our listeners' most pressing quilting questions. And this question is from Karen. She says, I'm working on a quilt and I have a few blocks that aren't exactly the size they need to be. And I'm not sure how to fix before I start adding sashing. Great question, Karen. Uh, You know, we may have talked about this sometime in the past on the podcast, uh, but it's truly a problem that many quilters face. So it is worth sharing the information again. So if the discrepancy discrepancy between the two blocks you're sewing together is small. Let your sewing machine ease in the difference. So to join the blocks, you will layer the two blocks on the bed of your machine with the smaller one on top. The feed dogs, you know, those teeth on the bottom that feed the fabric through your machine, will ease in the excess fabric as you sew the blocks together. Now, remember, this only works if the blocks are just a little off. You know, you can't ease a one-inch discrepancy. Um, But I do this trick constantly in my sewing room, and it works every single time. I do it for blocks, um, and I even do it for rows of blocks I'm sewing together. I just put the smaller block or row on top, and it works like magic. (laughs) Now, if your blocks are too large, uh, you could trim them especially if they're only, you know, like an eighth of an inch or less off. Um, This tip does not work well for blocks that have points on the edges, like star blocks are a good example, because in that case, you may be trimming into the seam allowance and then you'll end up cutting off your points. Um, But if it's something that doesn't have points on the outside, a little trimming won't really hurt anything. And if your blocks are too small, You can add borders, um, they're sometimes called coping strips, to your blocks to bring them to the right size. So you can add borders all the way around the entire block. You could do just on one or two sides if you need to. And if you use a color similar to the background, it will just blend into the block. You know, if none of these tips work with your blocks, you may need to rip out some seams and remake the block to be accurate. Uh, Sometimes that happens and it's okay. So I hope these tips help, Karen. Uh, We have all been there. (laughs) And that's it for today's show. Now, just a reminder that we are having a fun Ask Us Anything podcast in February, and we need questions to answer. 
So you can send me an email at apqpodcast at meredith.com. That email is listed in our show notes. And we can answer questions about anything quilting related, you know, about our jobs or personal projects, or even just for fun, non-quilting questions. It is one of my favorite shows we do throughout the year. So I hope you submit a question. Everyone enjoy your week.